From Washington, D.C., across the nation and around the world, stand by for an overview of the hottest topics and people being discussed on air, online, at the coffee shop and across the backyard fence. Powered by the research of Talkers Magazine, the national conversation, it's time for the Michael Harrison Wrap. Here's Michael Harrison. Thank you, Victoria Jones. Monday, May 16th through Friday, May 20th, 2022. A week of primaries, inflation, a baby formula shortage, a stomach-churning ride on the stock market, an uptick in COVID numbers, more war casualties, controversial abortion legislation, a mass shooting in Buffalo, racial tensions, the southern border immigration crisis, UFO hearings, gender equity on the soccer field, and a presidential trip to South Korea. Get ready for a powerful hour of Black Belt Talk Radio, during which your tolerance for hearing different but legitimate points of view will be tested. We've got lefties, we've got righties, and we have fence-sitters. Please, don't get angry. Just listen closely, and while doing so, maintain a degree of educated skepticism, regardless of whether or not you agree. We'll be joined by Kevin Casey at Talkers with a countdown of the 10 biggest topics of the week. Mandy Connell in Denver on the economy and protecting your kid from the dark side of social media. Brett Winterbull in Charlotte on the Russia-Ukraine war and mass murder in America. Victoria Jones in the nation's capital on unidentified aerial phenomena. We used to call them UFOs, and actually, we still do. Dom Giordano in Philadelphia on crazy, crazy, crazy Pennsylvania politics and Matthew B. Harrison in Springfield, Massachusetts on the wretched baby formula crisis. Influential yappers from across the country with microphones, smartphones, and digital recording devices sharing their observations and the feelings of their target constituents with whom they do a daily dance of affirmation in a fragmented, noisy world where we try to avoid the modern-day syndrome of seeking victory at the expense of truth. Welcome to the Michael Harrison Rap, heard coast to coast and around the world on great radio stations across the U.S. and the U.K. The past week's hottest political and social topics discussed in the American talk media. Information is gathered from a variety of sources, including data tracked by the broadcasting trade publication Talkers Magazine, of which I'm editor and publisher. This week's program is being sponsored in part by the classic rock group Gun Hill Road, in which I'm a member. Check out our YouTube hit that deals with animal welfare at IKnowYouAreReal.com. That's IKnowYouAreReal.com. Okay, here we go. Joining us now is Kevin Casey, executive editor of Talkers Magazine. Kevin, give us a rundown of the 10 most talked about stories on talk shows in America this past week. Thank you, Michael. At number 10 this week, UFO hearings. A House panel held the first public congressional hearing on unidentified flying objects in more than half a century on Tuesday, with top Pentagon officials saying the number of unidentified aerial phenomena reported by pilots and service members had grown to about 400. But not everyone in the military and intelligence communities thinks these high-flying, speedy objects are necessarily extraterrestrial in origin. At number nine, the NBA playoffs tied with the women's soccer equal pay issue. 
Basketball and hockey fans wait all year for what is often referred to as the second season. Women who play soccer for the United States will now earn the same amount as men in a landmark equal pay win. At number eight this week, the ongoing story of Elon Musk and Twitter, tied with social media issues in general. This thing's been grinding on for a month after Twitter agreed to be sold to the mega billionaire for an astonishing $44 billion. The fate of the acquisition remains very much in doubt. Musk now says the deal cannot move forward until he sees more information about the amount of spam and fake accounts on the platform. There's always something going on in the world of social media that makes the news and the talk shows. At number seven, crime and violence tied with immigration. The crisis along the southern border continues to intensify as the border city of El Paso, Texas, is considering whether to declare a state of emergency. The declaration, which the city council is due to vote on next week, would allow the city to tap state and federal funding for the border crisis. The number of migrants trying to cross the border has surged since President Joe Biden took office. Meantime, the Biden administration plans to lift the Title 42 public health order installed under the Trump presidency, which allowed rapid deportations under COVID-19 emergency measures. If that happens, the situation will go from worse to worser. Another situation that continues to worsen is the rise of crime and violence on the streets of urban America. At number six, the Buffalo shooting tied with the Great Replacement Theory. The tragic mass shooting that took the lives of at least 10 innocent victims at a Buffalo supermarket prompted legislation in Congress that would bolster federal resources to prevent domestic terrorism. This horrific event has further amplified public outrage over gun violence and the rise of white supremacy in America. An ideology described as great replacement conspiracy theory that's being touted in some political and media circles is cited as instigating white supremacist violence. This inflammatory narrative asserts that there's an active, ongoing and covert effort to replace white populations in current white majority countries. At number five, Roe v. Wade. The Supreme Court leak that rocked the nation two weeks ago has triggered a wave of debate and legislation over abortion rights in America. The Oklahoma legislature passed a bill this week banning almost all abortions from the moment of fertilization and relies on lawsuits from private citizens to enforce it. If the governor signs the bill, it would be the nation's strictest measure and take effect immediately. At number four, COVID-19. Although much of the population is trying to return to some semblance of normalcy in the hope that the pandemic is over, statistics and reality indicate that might not be the case. According to health officials at a White House briefing this week, COVID-19 cases continue to rise, driven by new and more infectious Omicron subvariants, waning immunity from both vaccines and previous infections, and fewer people masking up. On average, about 3,000 Americans are being hospitalized per day, and 275 are dying. At number three, the Russia-Ukraine war tied with foreign affairs. The atrocities and destruction suffered by Ukrainians at the hands of Putin's military invasion continue to horrify the Western allies as well as Russia's immediate neighbors. The Nordic nations of Finland and Sweden have expressed their desire to join the NATO alliance of some 30 countries designed to resist Russian aggression. Talks are underway. At number two, the economy tied with baby formula crisis. Inflation continues to rise as the Fed plans to slowly but steadily raise interest rates in an effort to cool down the runaway increase in the price of fuel, food, housing, and basic supplies. 
Meantime, the stock market has proven to be not a comfortable place for the faint of heart, as many economists say there is a growing likelihood of a coming recession. Meantime, the baby formula shortage has reached a crisis level and the federal government is finally taking action, although at this point it might take months before supplies rise back to normal levels. What a disgraceful debacle. And at number one this week, partisan politics and the elections. The midterm election season officially kicked off this past Tuesday with primaries in Pennsylvania, North Carolina, Kentucky, Idaho, and Oregon. The primaries are proving to be a referendum on election denialism and the influence of former President Donald Trump, who made so many endorsements in these and forthcoming contests that he sometimes has trouble getting his candidates' names straight. Thank you, Kevin Casey from Talkers Magazine. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Let's get the ball rolling now with a visit to Talkers Heavy 100 talk show host Mandy Connell of the great KOA in Denver, Colorado, the sister station of our affiliate in the Mile High City, KDFD, Freedom 93.7. This has been a crazy week. Let's start by saying or asking, what have you been talking about in terms of national issues on your show this past week? You know, oddly, we're having a lot of crazy stuff happen in our local stuff here in Denver, not crime and stuff like that, just political things that have been happening. And I got to tell you, I love talking about local issues and the national stuff. We've been kind of keeping an eye on Senate races. We've been keeping an eye on uh, the California governor's race with our friend Michael Schellenberger. But it's been a lot of local stuff, which I love doing on my show. How does the local stuff relate to the national stuff? Do you find a correlation uh, between uh, the ideology that's being bounced around nationally and um, on the micro level within your community? Oh, very, very much. And it's so disappointing that the kind of toxic um, you know, uh, uh, attitudes have now trickled down into local races, which is just really upsetting because these are our friends and our neighbors. You know, it's easy to, to hate someone across the country that you don't know, but when someone's living across the street and you have that same feeling, that's just been really disappointing and really disheartening. To what do you attribute this toxicity that is just becoming extremely apparent, not just in politics, but in our society? You think it's social media? Do you think it's the mainstream media? Is it Donald Trump? Is it any individual? What do you think? I think the pandemic really put a lot of people on edge in a way that nobody was prepared for and no one quite knows what to do with. And in all honesty, I'm not a big God person. I'm not going to sit here and evangelize, but I think a lot of people have turned away from the things that used to give them great comfort in times of stress. And they're all kind of lashing out instead of reaching out. And I'm hoping that as things maybe get back to some semblance of normal, we can get back to where people were face to face and having conversations instead of screaming arguments. Yeah, that face to face is an important uh, concept because it does seem that social media has emboldened many people to go toxic, to be brave, because they don't have to say it to your face. You know, you wouldn't say that to my face if you were here, that type of thing. And I, and I do think that that's part of it. Would you agree? Oh, my goodness. Are you talking about at John 994237, the bot accounts on Twitter that attack relentlessly because they're not real people? They're not doing the things that real people do. And you have to remember that on social media. You can't get sucked into these online arguments with people who are hiding behind aliases and their keyboard. It's not real life. It's never going to be real life, hopefully. And we just have to treat it for what it is, which is an opportunity for everybody to show how awful they can be. Well, you know, you have a preteen child. You have children. How do you how do you teach your children how to handle social media when they're so nimble at it? And they're so nimble at the technology and and 
And us old timers come from the 20th century in this new land called the digital era. Um, and sometimes they know more about it than we do. Um, as a parent, how do you deal with teaching your child about the pressures and dangers of uh, the digital age? Well, first of all, my daughter is uh, does not have a smartphone. She ah. does not have social media. She does not have any of this thing because, Michael, there is zero upside for social media for children. Zero. The studies are coming out fast and furious about the damaging effects it has, especially on young girls, which I have a 13-year-old daughter. And why would I subject her to that? She's been perfectly fine without it. We talk a lot about how algorithms are juiced to give people only what they want to see and that she shouldn't get involved in the endorphins that people get from likes or clicks. And, and all in all, I just say no. And at some point, as she gets older and wants to have social media, we'll have those conversations. But right now, uh-uh, there's no need. Obviously, she's not under peer pressure because it seems to be going smoothly for you. Um, is there peer pressure? Do you find the outside world challenging to your position with her? And do you have any advice to other parents who are just throwing their hands up and saying, my child thinks that I'm trying to turn them into a nerd or or an outcast? That, that Everybody has it, Mom. Everybody's doing it, Mom. Why are you keeping me from being cool. The funnest part is that we've surrounded ourselves with like-minded people. So a lot of our friends, children do not have social media. They may have a smartphone, but none of them have social media. There's a very large group of parents that have realized that this there's no benefit. That's the thing. And I asked my daughter, what's the benefit in your life? What would make your life better if you had social media? And she can't think of anything. So it, 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 there's more parents out there than you think. And if you can find those like-minded parents and say, look, we're all going to do this together so we can all be the worst parents in the world, it makes it a lot easier to just stand firm. Let's switch gears now. We were talking before about uh, being a God person. Um, one of the big topics all across the country for the past three weeks now has been Roe v. Wade ever since the surprise Supreme Court leak. Um, how are you handling it on the air? And what's the general attitude of your uh, callers? We talked about it very, very little, and that's by design. I think that abortion is one of those topics where people have very strong opinions, and talking about it on the radio isn't necessarily helpful. In addition, in Colorado, we have one of the most extreme pro-abortion laws already on the books. So for us, nothing is going to change. And in order, you know, it, it seems like beating my head against the wall when I'm in a state that has already decided that anyone can abort a child up till birth. Uh, and that's the, the reality of the situation. So we can talk about it in bigger terms. And we have uh, more about the leak and, and the sort of unprecedented nature of the leak. But the topic itself, I don't think we're going to change anybody's mind by talking about it on the radio. In conclusion, um, the economy is obviously a major, major topic of conversation. Um, what's the vibe in the Denver area? How do the people feel? What's the general tone of the times in terms of inflation and the economic challenges and uncertainty that we're facing? Everyone is freaking out, and Denver has even higher inflation than the rest of the nation. Our housing prices have gone in completely insane, while our wages have not even begun to keep pace. So what I am thinking we're going to see here, and I'm speculating, but I feel like I, I, I can say this pretty confidently, we've had a huge influx of young people, which is great for a city to create a vibrant city and a vibrant economy. I think you're going to see a lot of young people leave. Because why would they pay for a one-bedroom apartment that costs 1800 bucks while they're making 15 bucks an hour at a coffee shop when they can live in a different city and have a similar lifestyle for a lot less money? 
So I think we're going to see a mass exodus. It's a big, big deal here. That's Mandy Connell, the noon to 3 p.m. host on Heritage Station KOA in Denver, Colorado, the sister station of her affiliate in the Mile High City, KDFD, Freedom 93.7. Coming up next, a visit to Charlotte, North Carolina, and another look at the Russia-Ukraine war. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison Wrap. Great bands of the golden age of album rock, Gun Hill Road, has been around for more than 50 years. The members of Gun Hill Road are Steve Goldrich, Paul Reich, Glenn Leopold, Brian Coonan, and yours truly, Michael Harrison. I wrote the lyrics to a song on our new album, What Year Is This? It's titled, I Know You're Real. It's about the relationship between human beings and our friends in the animal kingdom. I know you're real. Take a moment to write down the following web address to see the music video of this inspirational song that contains some wonderful animal images that'll rock your heart and soothe your soul. Here's the address. Write it down. I know you are real.com. That's I know you are real.com. If you love animals, you'll feel real good after seeing this video. I know you are real.com. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison rap. The Russia-Ukraine war remains a painful thorn in the world's beleaguered butt. Let's check in with Talkers Heavy 100 host Brett Winterbull of Heritage Radio Station WBT, Charlotte, North Carolina. What has been your position on the war, the the Russia-Ukraine war, which among conservatives and uh, people in the GOP and uh, even talk show hosts, there seems to be two schools of thought. Uh, the traditional school of thought is is that um, this is an atrocity and that Russia has to be stopped in its tracks and we have to support Ukraine as much as we can. The other school of thought is that uh, we shouldn't be involved in uh, foreign affairs on that level and it's the Ukrainians' problem and that uh, any money sent there is uh, money that's not being used on uh, services and needs here uh, in America. Well, there, there are never wars of convenience. Wars don't ever break out at convenient times. And uh, we are the leader of the free world. We are the, the, the beacon of light out there. This is a country that was attacked. Uh, it was a country at peace that was attacked. It's, it's now been, you know, been the atrocities that have been committed against these people. Um, we are seeing NATO being involved, uh, functioning in the, in the proper sort of way that we would expect because they have a regional, in, uh, they have a regional interest in this fight. I support our efforts to defend Ukraine. I do not want to commit American troops uh, unless, of course, uh, Vladimir Putin decides he wants to attack the United States. I don't think he will. I think he understands what that would what that would mean. Uh, But these are people that we need to uh, stand up for as far as I'm concerned. And I've gotten pushback, a little bit of pushback from uh, I don't want to call them the American firsters, but but almost the isolationist uh, wing of politics. It was early on. But I think as this has gone on and we have seen uh, what it is that's happened and we have seen a a, a heroic effort by the Ukrainian forces to really fight. I mean, we're not going in there to fight the fight for them. They just want they just want the supplies. If we can get them weapons, if we can get them what they what they need, they're doing the fighting and they're doing a heck of a job. So I'm in support of, of what it is 
that uh, Zelensky is trying to do. And all he's trying to do is not grab more land. He's trying to defend his country. What about the role of Donald Trump uh, in this issue, as well as um, the entire uh, direction of the GOP? Do you see his, uh, you know, this has been a week of people counting his endorsements and all that, which I think a lot more, I think a lot more attention is being paid to that than it actually warrants in terms of his influence. But uh, what's your take on it, on, on Donald Trump and the Republican Party? Look, I think I think uh, former President Trump has a role to play. He's the, still the titular head of the party because he is the last president that that, that served in that capacity. Uh, but there are a lot of challengers who are coming up. And you know, when you look at movements, especially the history of movements, right? That first that first iteration is is exciting, and people are curious about it, and all of that. Then once it gets into the governance. Uh, you start to understand what the results are going to be of that, and then the question becomes: Do you want to go back for a third, for a third uh, iteration of that, or do you want to start to look at the people who are going to evolve through that movement? And I think that's what you're starting to see. Ron DeSantis comes to mind. Uh, a number of very effective uh, conservatives, and some of them traditional conservatives, some of them America First conservatives. Um, I think President Trump has a a role to play, but I don't think he's really setting setting the tone or the landscape, um, especially when you look at all these complicated elections that are taking place around the country. There's a lot of issues that people are voting on, and, and a lot of them are not running uh, congruously you know, with each other, right? You, baby formula shortages, gasoline, Ukraine, Hunter Biden, you, know, you name it. People are motivated for a lot of different reasons, not the least of which is the border. Uh, how, how about the border? You, you, you spent so many years in um, in San yeah. Diego, where it's a very hot issue. You know, the issue yes. blows hot and cold in terms of the media's attention. The issue remains a crisis. However, you know, in conversation, you can't talk about two things at the same time unless you have some kind of a, a strange set of vocal cords. That would be great, you know, for overdubbing. <laughs> but uh, I'll tell you, uh, you you're you're somebody I always go to to get a handle on where people are at in terms of the immigration crisis. So what's your thought about it at this point? Look, I, I think it's I think it's it's actually it's a unifying message for the Republicans, uh, Latino voters, especially down in the southwest and in, and in, and in the uh, west coast want to see that border secured. Title 42 is a huge issue. Big cities like San Diego, uh, El Paso, McAllen, they're going to see a huge influx of people from 168 countries, by the way. This is not all just Mexico. This is people from around the world, and many of them, we just we don't even know who they are. They're just they're crossing uh, that border and then being put on planes and, uh, you know, flown to uh, to Rye and all sorts of places like that. So the border is an incredibly complex issue. Here's my bit of advice for anybody running for president, Republican or Democrat. Go to the border. Go down there and see it, because right now for so many people, it's a theoretical. It's a talking point. These are people with real lives who are making a dangerous journey. These are people with real lives who are living on that border and having to process that. And the reality is, we know uh, coming up uh, you know, later on in the summer, there's going to be a gathering in D.C. that we go to uh, during the year uh, to, to discuss this border issue. And the fact of the matter is, it's going to be one of the top three things uh, to come for a very long time unless we get adult about it. I want to get one more thought from you about another hot topic, and that is the tragedy that happened in Buffalo. Look, um, we have got to realize evil is a real thing. The evil is present in this world, um, regardless of anybody's personal beliefs. And people are going to do unbelievably cruel and evil things. I, I feel like uh, as a talk show host and I feel like as an American, 
um, we, we do a disservice to focus on uh, the weapon, to focus on uh, what it is that is used to carry it out, whether it's a car in France or a truck in France or a gun uh, here in Buffalo. We have got to figure out a way to respect life. I, I put a video out earlier this week that said we need to be a life-affirming culture. And, and that may immediately evoke people who want to talk about Roe versus Wade or, or, or something else. But what we have to do is embrace the culture of life. We have to see each other as creations for, from God, and we have to respect each other. I think we have a crisis, a massive crisis of mental health uh, um, issues in this country right now. We offer universal health care, but we don't ever talk about mental health care, which can create some of the worst tragedies that we can imagine. We're going to continue to see this until we offer a, a, a brighter path. That's radio talk show host Brett Winterbull heard afternoons on WBT in Charlotte, North Carolina. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. So it seems there were some kind of hearings in Washington this past week about UFOs, or as they are now called, UAPs, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. Joining us is our Washington correspondent, the executive director of the D.C. radio company, Victoria Jones. There was actually an open hearing in the take breath because it's long house intelligence counterterrorism counterintelligence and counterproliferation subcommittee <gasps> oh why oh yeah i guess that means that it's lumped under unidentified flying missiles from russia as opposed to necessarily um, aliens from another planet and china that was one of the concerns so it's very interesting because on this committee you've sort of got uh, three different types of, of people, really. You've got people who really want, because this is the first hearing in over 50 years on oh this my, topic. Oh um, and, and that was one of the big issues for all of them, which is why is this being suppressed? Stop it, guys. And by guys, I mean military and intelligence. Bring this out into the open because you just make it worse because everybody gets ideas. Um, you've got people. You've got people on the in on the committee who think it. Look, it's Russians and Chinese. You've got people who think, look, it could be UFOs, and you've got people who are saying, we don't know. What do you think people think? Because uh, they have been the ones that have really been suppressing it. We've had UFO conspiracy theorists out there for years. There's Area 51 conspiracy theorists, and and astronomers talk about. Um, you know, and astrophysicists talk about uh, the potential for there being life outside of the Earth. As a matter of fact, more people believe there is life out there than believe there isn't. That's a whole other topic. But do you think, your personal opinion, do you think the military has suppressed this because they know something about an alien connection or because they know things about our enemies and uh, their advanced technology that they don't want people to know about? I think they know more than they're telling, and I think they know more than they said at the hearing, and I suspect that they selected the videos that they showed very carefully, that's what I suspect, um, and, uh, you know, that, that, that's, that's what I think. Um, and, but I also think that, that, that there's no one view in the military. I, I think it's split, and 
I think that's what makes it complicated. Also, because there have been these sightings by very senior officers, that makes it even more complicated. I would think. I would think that it's uh, it's it's more frightening that um, potential enemies of the United States have this type of amazing aerial technology to be able to do the kind of maneuvers that legitimate pilots have claimed to see. You know. You know, right hand, right angle turns, you know, stopping, you know, these defy the laws of physics, you know, stopping on a dime, reversing direction and suddenly speeding off at, at uncanny speeds. Um, this is, you know, this is the stuff of um, very frightening weaponry if in or the capability of carrying weapon weaponry if um, if in fact that's the case. See, I find it hard to believe personally that if there were extraterrestrials coming to earth that they would be in vehicles that they'd be flying around i i think they would be so advanced that they would have a mastery over the fabric of space and time and be able to just get here through quantum wormholes or something there's so many other indications and hints that the universe is interconnected beyond einstein's theory of relativity where they're just you know there's you know three dimensions in time there there might be many dimensions and and so i think that the word dimension comes into this if we're going to look at look at it from an an astrophysics perspective what what do you think i think there are more efficient means of travel than spaceships right right Exactly. So uh, that's something that just makes me roll my eyes when I hear about somebody saw, you know, spaceships and things of that nature. I, I would think more likely they come from Earth. Then people say, but you, don't you think that there's life out there? I, I do think there's life out there. As a matter of fact, I can't believe there isn't. I, I, if I had to bet on it, <laughs> the, 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 the numbers fall in such a way that it would be remarkable if there wasn't life in the universe beyond that which we know exists on Earth. But I don't see them driving around in a bunch of space jalopies because that the distances are just so great that there's got to be other ways of manipulating, as I said before, the fabric of space and time, and, and they would come in different ways. You've heard of the Fermi par uh, paradox. The Fermi paradox is... Uh, a um, concept that uh, began with Enrico Fermi, an astrophysicist, I believe back in the 50s, he was having lunch with some of his colleagues and he brought up the question, if the universe is so old and there are so many uh, indications scientifically that the building blocks of life are all over the place, everywhere, and uh, that you know life uh, here on Earth seems to find a way no matter what the environment why is it that we have not yet seen one sign of extraterrestrial life? You know, where are the aliens? That is the uh, that, that's that's probably one of the hottest buzz terms, the Fermi paradox in the um, the science community today, in the legitimate science community today, and there are all kinds of hundreds, hundreds of theories as to what the answer to that question is. And anybody out there listening to this who's interested in this, just just Type Fermi Paradox into YouTube and you'll have hours and hours of very enjoyable um, uh, viewing. So, um, but um, I, I can think of two reasons. What do you think? Well, one is that they don't leave traces. And two, 
is that if they do leave traces behind, we're not sophisticated or advanced enough to know how to find them. Hmm. That's that's a very, very possible, you know, solution. Another one is, is that we just are not taking into account how big the universe is. It's like going down to the ocean on the beach and taking a, a thimble and filling it with water out of the ocean and saying, how come there are no fish in here? It's it's, a, yeah. it's just so big. Then there's the dark forest, the dark forest theory. And that is because the smart aliens know you'd better lay low because there are dangerous predators out there and they're hiding behind the trees, so to speak, of the universe, not making themselves apparent. And the whole idea of, hey, we're here. Hello. How is everybody out there? Is a very stupid thing to do. Stephen Hawking uh, warned against that. You know, we should keep our profile low. So, you know, it's fascinating, isn't it? I think it's fascinating. I agree with Stephen Hawking, particularly since we can't agree among ourselves on anything, even on local school boards. How do we actually imagine we could agree with aliens? That's Victoria Jones, the executive director of the DC Radio Company. Coming up next, we're heading to one of the hot spots in the American political universe. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. This report is brought to you by Genesis 2 Project, G2P. Recently, the Office of the Director of National Intelligence, the ODNI, released a preliminary report on possible threats posed by UFOs, now known as Unidentified Aerial Phenomena, UAP, and the progress the Department of Defense, UAP Task Force, has made in understanding any threats. Dr. J.C. Van Velkenberg is a former Los Alamos National Lab biophysicist who has been working with G2P to bring scientifically sound UAP data to the public. G2P has released the first scientifically authenticated documentation of UAPs, including images captured with infrared technology. Primo Forensics performed the digital forensic analysis. In tandem with the ODNI report, these data support the development of relevant processes, policies, technologies, and training for the U.S. military and government personnel upon encountering UAP. Visit Genesis2Project.com. Continuing now with the Michael Harrison Wrap as we discuss the hottest topics of the past week in the national conversation. Politics, of course, is the primary subject discussed in the news talk media. And this has been a big week as the primaries began to sort things out. Or have they? Let's catch up with Talker's Heavy 100 host, Dom Giordano of WPHT, Philadelphia. Well, Dom, you're sitting in the hotbed of politics uh, on the air. The dean of Philadelphia Talk Radio, Pennsylvania, USA. The primaries have happened and uh, no clear cut uh, answer yet. At least when you and I are talking on Wednesday, May 18th, the day after the primaries, I set this up with you because I figured, you know, we'd have uh, some kind of a story to talk about. It um, It's too close to call. Do you think it'll be settled by the weekend? Uh, no, not at all. If you mean next weekend, the Memorial Day weekend, that's our informal over and under, Michael. And the reason is the canvassing of the vote in Pennsylvania 
hasn't even fully gone on yesterday as we're speaking on Wednesday. You have military ballots, absentee ballots. You have in Lancaster County, Pennsylvania Dutch country, this is the flaw of the mail-in balloting system. They put the wrong code or the printer put the wrong code on the mail-in balloting. It can't go through the machines. They have to go back and look at each one, mark it manually, and then put it through. And it appears to me they're not working around the clock, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. That's over 22,000 ballots. And then you have some that still, as of Wednesday afternoon, have not fully reported. And what's happening here is the longer this goes on, even though this is an intra-party Republican primary, people start to worry about the integrity of the vote. Yes. If anything, it adds fuel to the fires of um, the whole um, election denial movement, which uh, some call completely bogus and others say is uh, an expression of freedom in, in America. Uh, major, major rift in terms of um, political positioning. And it exists within the GOP and within the Republican Party. What's amazing is some of the vitriol being expressed in this. One would think that this is, um, you know, inter-party, you know, between the two parties as opposed to inter party within one party. Do you find that surprising? Uh, I've never seen anything like it. And again, it's not just these two in contention that are part of the story here. That Oz and McCormick allegedly spent 11 to $12 million each of their own money on top of PAC money that was incredible to savage each other. And they went so negative that a third party, African-American female Kathy Barnett, at one point was very close within the margin of error to those two. And then there was an onslaught of attacks on her. She fell back to third, but quite a colorful character. And when you put all those three together on the Democrat side, we have a guy who I've interviewed is six foot eight, 300 pounds Fetterman who wears cargo shorts to formal events and a hoodie. And he's stricken with a stroke only at the age of 52 days before the vote. You put all this together, we have a guy who's the nominee on the Republican side for governor who is extreme. Welcome on conservative radio stations, even. He's that far right. You put all this together. I've never seen anything this volatile. And two things about Pennsylvania. One, it will probably determine after the midterms who will control the U.S. Senate. That's why this is so important. But whoever controls the governor's office in 2024 has a large say in the infrastructure of counting the vote in the ultimate swing state. Do you think that um, this is due to different types of people, a tapestry of politics in Pennsylvania, or is it even more profoundly confusing because Pennsylvania is basically homogenized? In other words, how would you describe Pennsylvania? You know, we use terms like that, blue and red, and you know, but yeah. what, what no, is... that what, is such a great question. Michael, the people that were senators in Pennsylvania are people like Pat Toomey, who even when he's fired up and angry, and I like him and have him on a lot, it sounds tepid. Uh, Bob Casey Jr., who's often mocked for being the ultimate uh, tapioca type of guy. He's a good guy, but I mean, that, that's who they usually elect. Fetterman, in fact, the, the Democrat, the guy six foot eight, 300, motorcycle gang, they like him because they say in an age of Trump, they're countering a Trump-type character with another tar cartoon character. And then there's Dr. Oz on the Republican side. So it is a sea change here. We usually have state senators and governors. 
Uh, there, you know, and Harrisburg is like a, 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 a galaxy far, far away from Philadelphia in that they never make news. Even if they're kind of radical, their policies, they're very, very laid back. These guys are in your face and have a national profile. Hmm. How different are Pittsburgh and Philadelphia? Uh, very different, uh, as far as I can tell. I did a lot of uh, Pittsburgh radio, KDKA, unbelievably great station. And it was comprised of what I would say were more mod- the classic, truly they are there, moderate Democrats that could vote for Republicans. You had a lot of that. It was not fire-breathing. It was not as conservative, per se. And it has the feel, even though it's a great city, of more of a small town uh, connection to it. And there is, it's called the, uh, the left coast of Pennsylvania. Uh, the politicians between Pittsburgh and Philadelphia, usually they have appeal in one or the other. There's not a lot of crossover or connection. Tell us about uh, this woman, Kathy Barnett, that you mentioned before, the African-American woman who looked for a while as if she might slip in there because she was within the margin of error in terms of polls and um, obviously uh, is not in this razor-thin race between Oz and McCormick. Um, What's her story? Well, in talk radio, at least I'll speak for myself, we love characters, people with character, but that are a character, that type. She's a real character. Uh, She grew up in a pig farm, poverty-stricken in Alabama, worked her way through the military. She was a Fox News commentator, uh, and she lost badly in a congressional race in suburban Philadelphia. But this time around in the Senate race, she had an authenticity that maybe Oz and McCormick did not, and they were killing each other with all that advertising. And she is someone who you know she's in the room. Her positions are very uh, MAGA, but Trump didn't endorse her. So she said that Trump came to the MAGA movement. We didn't go to him. I had her on several times in person. And when I was in the ring with her, she has quite a presence, quite a turn of the phrase, and quite a just likability and was just this, our listeners were riveted to something different as a candidate. And that's why they were disappointed when the attacks went full bore on her. Well, when you have all these MAGA candidates happening, um, how do they attack each other? They're not MAGA enough. They're not Trump enough. They're not, they're, they're, do they call people that are really right-wingers rhinos because they're not far right enough? I mean, what's the deal in terms of MAGA versus MAGA? Well, uh, I think uh, they, uh, they attack uh, Dr. Oz because he seems to be kind of late to MAGA hmm. uh, as not really having any positions. McCormick is an even wealthier guy, and he's a hedge fund guy, even though he's a military guy. Well, the first thing they did in Pennsylvania, Michael, unfortunately, with some of these people, all these ads that were run, they called them political tourists parachuting into Pennsylvania. A woman named Sands. McCormick and Oz uh, saying they don't know anything about Pennsylvania. They never lived in Pennsylvania. And I think Dr. Oz was brilliant on the times he was on with me to explain his Pennsylvania roots. It took a lot of extrapolation to get to that. So residency was a big issue with a lot of voters early on. And then it became President Trump's intervention and some national people, even on Fox News Channel, we had a three-way battle going on from Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram uh, didn't like Kathy Barnett, Sean did not, 
and Mark Levin tagged in on the Oz side. I think Oz is such a lightning bolt here and friendly with all this. He took it to another level. That's Dom Giordano, who hosts the noon to 3 p.m. show on WPHT Philadelphia. You're plugged into the Michael Harrison rap. Okay, let's wrap up the rap with a few words from its producer, the vice president and associate publisher of Talkers, media attorney and university law school teacher, Matthew B. Harrison. The baby formula crisis. What are your thoughts on it? I think that people don't realize the severity of it unless they have babies in their lives. Baby formula, generally speaking, it's just increasing unavailable over the last 10 months, and it reached a a, a peak of 43% out of stock rate last week. This week's figures are not in yet, but it's only seeming to get worse because the percentage of of out-of-stock specialty formula for people who, young babies who need special nutrients, uh, non-dairy, whatever, special formulas that significantly higher. What is this Defense Production Act? President Biden's answer to this problem is to invoke the Defense Production Act. And many critics are saying that perhaps such an invocation should have happened back in February when the White House was made aware of this impending problem. The DPA allows for the White House to ease regulations on production, uh, to force raw material vendors to sell all necessary materials in the manufacture of baby formula to those that make it first ahead of all other uses gives the power to the White House to solve any labor disputes and any of the manufacturing facilities, which is the case, as well as a means to crack down on price gouging and counterfeit formula, while also fast tracking the importation of formula from other countries. Do you think that there'll be pushback on this as government overreach? Yes. To hear a few vocal Republicans, uh, they're suggesting that the problem is directly related to Biden policies. Well, one of the problems is that um, every single issue today, most of which or many of which uh, should be bipartisan in nature, have become politically weaponized. I would think that the idea that, that you cannot get the right nourishment for your child uh, you know, it's not some abstract thing that people, you know, you know, don't think affects them. It, it, it's a terribly, terribly frightening thing. How are families feeling about this? <laughs> it's a total free for all. Parents are put in the position of having to uh, rely on family and or social media to basically have other people go to other stores and try to grab whatever they can. And if, if you have any sort of special needs or you're on uh, the WIC program, you're very limited in terms of the formula that you can use and the formula that would be re- reimbursed by the government uh, subsidy. This is such a complex situation. Um, obviously, uh, the politicians are going to point at each other and um, it's been weaponized, as I mentioned. But um, just uh, looking at it now from this perspective where we are now, um, what, are, what are some of the, the, the causes or things that have uh, made the situation go from bad to worse? The reason uh, it got exacerbated, the supply chain obviously problems uh, started it, but one of the main production plants uh, had an outbreak of bacteria that resulted mm. in some infants getting ill and two of them dying. So they closed the, the manufacturing plant and that's when things started to really go south. I, I noticed, uh, I noticed uh, in an article, uh, I didn't get too deep into it, that um, doctors are warning that um, women sharing their natural biological milk with other um, mothers for their babies 
uh, which some people have uh, turned to or proposed, is not necessarily the best idea from a health standpoint. What about the possibility of importing it from other countries? Based upon a Trump-era uh, program that uh, on foreign imports as part of a larger America First policy, pretty much impossible to import formula directly into this country. And it's become such a bureaucratic nightmare that the uh, government has been ordered by Biden and the White House uh, to send uh, Defense Department planes to go to foreign countries and buy the formula directly and then bring it back. I understand two bills passed the House this Wednesday. What, what's that all about? The House voted 414 to 9 to pass H.R. 7791, which was a measure that would allow low-income women to purchase different brands of baby formula through the federal Women, Infant, and Children program. Currently, they're limited to only one brand, and that is through government contract. All right, and then in a more partisan vote, the House passed H.R. 7790, which is the Infant Formula Supplemental Appropriations Act, and that's to provide $28 million in emergency funding to the FDA in order to address their aspect of uh, this shortage, uh, which includes more resources for inspections and more administration to help with uh, processing the paperwork. That's this show's producer, the vice president and associate publisher of Talkers and university law school teacher, Matthew B. Harrison. And that about does it for this latest installment of the Michael Harrison Wrap, an overview of the national conversation, looking back at the week of Monday, May 16th through Friday, May 20th, 2022. Looking ahead, I'm sure we'll have plenty to talk about next week, including the ever-lurking unknown factor, that unanticipated surprise story that can take the national conversation spinning off in a totally unexpected direction. We sure do live in interesting times. I can be reached via email at michaelatalkers.com. My podcast, The Michael Harrison Interview, can be heard at mhinterview.com. And if you want to stay in touch with the inner workings of the talk media industry, please visit talkers.com. The Michael Harrison Wrap. Our producer is Matthew B. Harrison. Thank you for listening. The Michael Harrison Wrap is a production of Good Phone Communications presented in association with Talk Media Network and Talkers Magazine. Copyright 2022. All rights reserved. 